Yeah, last night's rave was crazy. Under Gods went on to like seven in the morning. It was a wicked night. It was a great turnout. Loads of people were there. It was loads of gal there. And uh, afterwards, about seven, we went over to like Samiris for the afters. And uh, we went there till about 12 in the afternoon. And literally, like, I've just come straight from there. Well, I went home quickly, changed my clothes, and I've just come straight here. So I'm still, like, going. And uh, all I can think about now is just eating some jollof. And um, Dad keeps offering me some whiskey. I'm going to have a little tickle, but I'm not going to have too much. You know what they say, like, after raving, you need to have a little bit more just to help balance you. But I can't wait to eat Mum's food. And, um, yeah, just, just, but it was wicked, you know what I mean? When you're older, you'll know, and I'll take you out there. Usually after the rave, everyone goes to the Mickey D's by Bo, Brumley by Bo. Last time I ate there, I threw up. So for me, I'm just waiting to get to go and see mum's and eat mum's food. I'm not touching no Mickey D's. Mummy, did you make my favourite dish, Eddie Kai Kong? You did? Wow. I can't wait to chop. Let me tell you about Hackney Wick. Before Hackney Wick and Stratford change, it was, it was the, the, the furthest part of Hackney. And it was barren land. The only thing that was in Hackney Wick was the bus depot and a couple of abandoned buildings and a couple of estates. But there would be no reason for you to go there if you didn't know anyone there. There was nothing there. But there was a couple of warehouses and we used to go there for a couple of warehouse raves. Some illegal, some legal. And um, Hackney Wick just was just all these abandoned buildings. So there was a lot of squat, uh, squat raves there. And... There was a lot of illegal raves there and th then there, there, there was a lot of warehouse raves where there would be security on the door but you could do whatever you wanted there. I've been to so many there and they would go on to like 8 in the morning and um, there was no one there so there was no one complaining about police or anything. It was just like a lot, it was a different time, you know what I mean? And there were a lot of people in there. You didn't need to go anywhere. So, like, the drinks, were, the alcohol was cheap there. There were people supplying drugs in there. This is how it just was in those times. And most of the bouncers were in in, in on it as well. And um, you could smoke weed. You could smoke cigarettes. This was before the smoking ban, so you could do what you want there. But it was just um, a time, and it was just, like, smoke machines, dark rooms, and there used to be chambers, and you'd just go exploring and... Um, you know, some of them were like mixed. Some of them were just uh, some of the some of the raves were, were were catered to a particular kind of genre. So it might be a drum and bass or jungle night or like most times it was just like the most nights I were going to was uh, house or techno or house tech or house and techno. It was mostly that with a little bit of hardcore here and there. But um, yeah, it was just good times and. Um, my what I do remember is just like either damp basements, damp, dark, wet basements. I've been to some places in Hackney Wick where you go in there and the building was like condemned. There was old machinery. There was like puddles. I remember going to one New Year's Eve rave down in Hackney Wick, and there was like a giant puddle in the hallway. And um, I remember it was for New Year's Eve and I remember like, oh my God, I, I, by one o'clock I got out of there. I was like, I can't believe I'm starting my new year in this shithole of, uh, of an establishment. Um, but yeah, 
So there was a lot of places like that. There was just like condemned buildings. I generally now you wouldn't see these things happening. And this was like 2000. That New Year's Eve was 2006 or seven. So um, you know, and that was bad. And um, yeah, so Hackney Week, Hackney Week was just known for just graffiti everywhere, as it still is now. But it was just abandoned buildings. There was nothing there, and it wasn't it wasn't somewhere where you would just go to visit. It was somewhere you just go there for a rave. Or like I had a lot of friends that were squatting around there, so we just go to these squat parties down there. And uh, pretty much Lee Valley had kind of ended. Lee Valley ended around about two thousands. Lee Valley ended, and then Hackney Wick became the place. Um, I think they already started doing development around Lee Valley, so that's why that kind of ended. So Hackney Wick up to Stratford was the place. One of the main clubs that's, is, that's got shut down was Stratford Rex. That was a major hall. Stratford Rex, I'm sure if you look it up, it has a lot of history to it. It's been around there for years. I think originally it was a cinema or a theatre. Um, but we used to go there and they used to have everything there from jungle to like Jar Shaka to like roots and culture dances to house and techno dances. I remember doing a dance one time in... Um, in Hackney Wick, I did a, in a, it was a squat rave. I had to bring in the sound system. I had to, we had to build a bar because there was no bar in this building. And we, um, I had already been working with a security firm. So that was okay um, for, the, for, for the area. The area, at, so the, the, the rave that we did, um, I put together this night and it had all different types of DJs. And one of the DJs there was a friend named Ziggy. He was from Bangladesh and he was like a well-known uh, figurehead in that scene. He was known for doing uh, a house and, and techno. He was a, like what we was, he was a don in house and techno. And um, Ziggy was an old school school friend that I went to school with in, uh, in Popular. And um, he, 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 was, he was working with his family business in the restaurant business. They had a restaurant actually in Brick Lane. So a Bangladeshi restaurant, but it was known. It wasn't Bangladeshi. It was actually Indian restaurant, but it was actually Bangladeshi food. Um, but I, I don't know. Indian just seemed to be more popular. And um, he was there, and he, I remember he went to Thailand, and he had a, a, a accident on his moped, and he end, ended up having to lose his leg, uh, his foot. He lost his foot in an accident in Thailand, and um, when he got back, he he just didn't want to go back into the restaurant business, and then he just started. He was a serious DJ, but he started taking it more seriously. So I put on this rave, and Ziggy was one of the main DJs of the night. Yeah, so East London was the place for raving. Like, West End was never it for us. It was just too bougie. It was just too fake. And, uh, you know, most times we weren't able to get in. So, like, for us, yeah, East London was, was, was the best place to rave. It was unlimited. We could do what we wanted to. Most of the raves, we could smoke in there. We could do what we wanted. And... um yeah, all these different places around East London. Uh, man, there was spots in Hackney. Then there were spots down in Shoreditch, Old Street, Hoxton. Then there were spots down Hackney Wick. And, but the main raving culture was down in Lee Valley. And uh, that's where we just raved all night till like 9 a.m. sometimes. And uh, what was good, there was a huge community down there in, in Lee Valley. And... Uh, you had multiple like uh, cards to get into all these different events. 
So you was a part of this community. In the early 2000s, we were spending a lot of time down Old Street, Hoxton, Shoreditch. There was a number of bars and clubs around there. And then one of the main places we used to go to was this place called Plastic People. Or we'd go to Juno Bar, we would go to like Troy Bar. And there was Free 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 in the Truman Brewery. But we would mostly go down Plastic People. If you wanted some like elite raving, that's where we would go there and have like the time of our life. And what was good about Plastic People is that they had a music policy. So when you'd go there, they'd have a laminated sheet to tell you what the music was. So you knew what you were getting yourself into. And then afterwards, we would go over to a friend's house named Samira, who lived in Hoxton, and we'd go there to her house, which was like the oldest house in, in London. It hadn't been decorated. It was just like an old kind of like a living relic. The house had like the old carpet from like 1960s, 70s. The, the paint job was so old. It was just old and tacky. It reminded me of an old pub that hadn't been changed for like 30, 40 years. The carpet was so old. It was brown, brown carpet with like kind of shapes on it. And it was just like was old and muggy. And, and um, can you believe she used to tell us to take off our shoes? But that's another subject. And um, the carpet used to be all folded and filthy and dirty. And the wallpaper was yellow. But it was a place where we could just smoke, do our thing and have fun. And I met a lot of people in the culture, lifelong friends at this house. And um, I remember one time meeting uh, Most Def, a.k.a. Yasin Bey. I remember meeting him there. And he would be sitting on this old, decrepit armchair. And like all the furniture there was really old. Like all, 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 all of all, all the uh, the photography and the the artwork there was just old, and it had an old muggy smell in there. It was really, but it had character, and um, yeah, it was something special about it. And uh, yeah, so that was one of the places we used to go to afterwards to have a great time, chill out, and we'd be there till you know one in the afternoon, sometimes until the evening. You know, the host that was there would often go bed and just leave us to it. You know what I mean? She used to make us take off our shoes. And I, I refused to. You take, I remember being there with white socks one time and going in there and my foot of my bottom of my foot was black within five minutes. And do you know how I knew? I crossed, sat down and crossed my leg and someone was like, your foot? And I looked under and the bottom of my foot was black. And I never took my shoe off there again. I was the only one there. I wasn't having it. And um, yeah, so um, it was just like, you know... 40 years of cigarette smoking in there as well. So the walls were just yellow. It was seriously in need of some sugar soap. Shoreditch, Hoxton, Old Street. It's got like a lot of history. Believe me, before the clubs were there, it was a barren, desolate place. Nobody was going there. There was Hoxton Estate. And then there was estates coming down from City Road. It was just like, it was just a poor working class area. Uh... Parts of Hoxton is Hackney. No one in Hackney goes... Hoxton is a separate entity to the rest of Hackney Borough. No one goes around there. They're their own people. Hoxton was always separated from the rest of Hackney. And, um, yeah, so, like, you know, it's changed. And then I remember, you know, they started to, like, do a lot more graffiti and a lot more artists used to come into the area. And these trains, these tubes, these old tube lines. It looks like an old Piccadilly tube line that's above Village Underground. You know what I mean? So it's there. 
the old traditional barber shops and haberdasheries. There's still a few there. A couple of the leather shops. There's a few custom-made uh, tailored haberdasheries still there. It's really good to see Hackney Empire still there. That's a that's a a, a living relic. So many uh, functions. I can't remember, but it's been there for a long time, and you know it's basically for the whole of East London community would have would have would have gone there and North London as well. Um, yeah, then you got Brick Lane. There's a lot of history there. Um, I guess they was doing a lot of textiles there before. When we talk about the Truman Brewery, they were like doing beer and stuff. And um, obviously, we're not doing anything like that anymore. So things changed. I remember a period where Brick, La Brick Lane was just abandoned warehouses as well because we used to do a couple things there. I remember a bar, was it 1001? We used to do stuff in there. You could, bloody hell, you could smoke. You could do whatever you wanted in bar 101. It used to be this upstairs area. They used to have a giant screen room. It was weird. Like These places are non-existent. Just the freedom of what you could do. There was no security. There was nothing. It was just a freedom, you know. And there's a lot of nooks and crannies, and uh, they're still there. None of them have changed. And for me, that's the heartbeat. The, 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 the veins of East London is all the, the, uh, the cobbled roads, the muses, and the alleyways, and the train track alleyways and pathways. And you would get to these different various warehouses and raves cutting through these alleyways and stuff, you know. Um, wouldn't really want to get caught walking there by yourself at night, you know. Even during the day, trust me. A lot of the uh, original people of East London have definitely moved. A lot have moved further out, past Dagenham, Upminster, and past deeper into Essex. They've gone in there, and I say that especially with the white community of East London. They, a lot of them have got pushed out. All the original like Hammer fans and stuff. None of them are really in West Ham anymore. None of, none of the fans of West Ham are in West Ham. The original diehard fans, they've all moved out. They're from out, out, other areas and stuff, you know. Because it would have started from like Homerton. From about Homerton onwards, you would have been, even from Hackney, you would have been in West Ham to some extent, you know. Um, definitely no one in the East like that was a Tottenham fan. Um, yeah, so it's just like, you know, uh, East London also started to make up of all these haberdasheries. And boom. I know someone right here. Who's in this? What's his name? Oh my God! Yeah, I know this guy right here, John. I knew, I knew, I knew I'd know someone in it. This guy right here. I know him. He started up a space with Otis about five years ago, just off of Dalston. I forget what it was called. They opened up a huge space, gallery space for exhibitions, events, and stuff. Um, but it didn't work out. And uh, that was them trying to still keep the culture in the area. But uh, yeah, all things, it just gets swallowed up. Uh, Shoreditch got swallowed up. And um, Hoxton, they all got swallowed up by uh, bigger brands. Things like Box Park, which is threatening Ridley Market because they want to turn Ridley Market into a Box Park. They want to shut down the Ridley Market uh, Mall shopping centre. Which is, to me, not as bad as the shopping centre of Elephant Castle that got shut down, but it's pretty bad. There's not much in there, but it's still a pivotal, pivotal part of the community. That used to be the number one place for getting leather clothes, leather jackets, 
and they were close was Petticoat Lane. That used to be, uh, that that was incredible. Like, I'm talking about quality leather. When I went there the other day, the, all the leather there, jackets just look like plastic. They're really, uh, the crap, the market has shrunk. It was a real East London market. Like, Ridley Market was one, but Ridley Market is like, Northeast, it's not deep east, it's not east. Once you, when you go into Petticoat, even though it's, it's Liverpool Street, it's on the other side of Liverpool Street, Petticoat Lane was an East London market, if you ask me. You know, you go in there and like every, all kind of hustlers were in there, selling all kinds of things. Growing up, mixed heritage of half Nigerian, half English, having a strong Nigerian identity, but like, the reality is I was born and raised in East London and whenever I ever went back to Nigeria, I was known that I wasn't fully accepted there, even to the point where people would call you Oibo, which means white person. And it's, and, and it's demoralizing because when I be in England, I was never accepted here. So I was called all kinds of racial terms. So like, it was it was it was hard. So there was this identity of being lost, not knowing where you are, where you belong. But then it it comes to a point where you don't tolerate it no more. Your identity is I am British and Nigerian. So like I'm proud of both of them, and not denying uh, my white side of the family or my black side of the family, and embracing them both. But having a deep love for my Nigerian side, especially when it comes to the culture, the the food and the the, 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 the the clothing and fashion and the long uh, heritage that we have with our family as it goes back, you know, and we come from a family of, of kings, you know, and queens. We come from royalty, you know. Um, most most of our family in Nigeria come from royalty. So um, it's that. But, like, you know, also, like, dad's uh, culture was really good as well and uh, our strong identity was East London and was West Ham United aka the Hammers and you know that was it and um, you know that never used to stop going on about us winning the uh, World Cup and about you know the main players from the World Cup being from West Ham he's always going on and on and on about that and he was really proud and he gave us that identity so we're proud and like you know, amongst my other British friends, I'm cool. The racism that would come off, it was just the area was just racist. Um, it was there, but like, you know, um, regardless if I was mixed race, they was just racist. They was just scumbags anyway. But like, there was also a lot of really good white people here in London as well. It wasn't all like that. Majority of my friends are white as well. And they're good. And they love my Nigerian culture. They love to come and eat some jollof. They love it. They go nuts for mum's jollof. The smell of the jollof the Eddie Kai Kong, the pepper stew, the moi moi. Mummy, you never cease to amaze me.